usually I do a, as Carrie Chapel. You guys get used to it, the verse by verse, um, and I that's how I like to teach because I stay on track. So, but I'm not going to do that today. So we can consider this more like a fireside chat with Andrew because it's really going to be me sharing with you scripture verses um, that the Lord really put on my heart. Um, and with that, just really the theme is getting to see what pride does in a man, what brokenness and shame does in a man, and what humility does in a man. And we're going to see different scriptures and in, in seeing that. And this is for all the guys and gals out there. We all come here with being sinners. Some are saved by grace. Others may be coming here as sinners and you haven't tasted or understood grace yet. And it's my desire that whenever the word is shared, we understand that we serve a loving God, not a God that hates us, not a God that wants to condemn us, not a God that says you have to do all these things before you can come before the throne. And so we're going to get into it right away. If you would turn with me, uh, King Solomon, as we know, the son of King David, if you go to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, and I'm just going to share this right now. Uh, this is a, a, a theme verse for me for today, and so I thought we'd start out with it right away. They had just dedicated the temple, so his father David, King David, had gotten the stuff ready, but God did not allow King David to build the temple because he was a man of war. He had blood on his hands, and so God wanted Solomon to do this. And so they actually built the temple. Um, we know that Solomon had a great prayer, but I want to go into chapter 7, verse 13, and this is where the Lord had appeared to Solomon by night. And he said, actually we'll start in verse 12, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command, the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, what a great verse even for, we're going into the elections, and uh, <clears throat> I just have thought about the elections and how divisive our country can get at times of, uh, and I'm not going to get into politics, don't worry, I don't care who you vote for. So I know who my king is, so that's obvious. It's not going to be anyone that we're looking at here in the U.S. He's up in heaven. And, uh, but I want to share that verse because it reminds me of how when we go and humble ourselves before the Lord and we seek his face, he brings healing in the land. And to me, the healing in the land is one yourself, where he can start healing you of things. And, and two, the healing in the land of your home, where he starts healing your home life. See, it starts at the home, we know that. The walk with the Lord, it's not up here. It's not doing stuff in front of people. It's really as we walk with the Lord humbly when no one's looking. And so Solomon uh, was able to hear that from the Lord, that if you are my people, if you would humble yourself and pray and seek my face, and then after seeking uh, the Lord's face, he says, turn from their wicked ways. So it, it's, it's a process. You know, it's not just that you just cry out to the Lord and say, I'm a sinner. That's one part of it, but the other part is then to turn from our ways. And so that is a theme verse I want to share for us as we go through some of the scripture. I want to go to Daniel chapter 4, if you turn there with me. 
And this is a man the, of pride that we see, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a man that I would call the man of the world. Not fully understanding who God was because he walked in his own strength. Even God gave him Daniel as the advisor. Daniel shared with King Nebuchadnezzar uh, the Lord's heart. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 26, and I'm just going to go into this before Nebuchadnezzar gets humbled, but it says, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel was able to share the dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was having. And at the end of that dream, he's saying, hey, this is what you need to do. And, and perhaps God would give you a lengthening of days of your prosperity. So then King Nebuchadnezzar is like, yeah, that sounds great. No, that's not, that's not what he said. If you read the story, let's go into it. So this all came upon King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. At that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar, a man of power. He was very powerful. The, the Babylonian Empire was massive at the time, and they ruled and they ruled with power and might, and they conquered lands. And he had an advisor, Daniel, and whose name was Belshazzar at the time. That was the name that he was given when he was taken into captivity. And, and God used Daniel in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar to tell him, hey, stop walking in this way. But see, when things are going good in our life, it's so easy to hear the word of the Lord spoken and dismiss it. I don't need that. I don't need God. I'm doing great. And I see that in the world of men that are of success, women that have success, and they're like, I, I don't need them. I have everything I need here. And yet God can humble the strongest man, the strongest woman, in an instant. Because as he was speaking, it said, as the word was still in his mouth coming out, just like that, and he's out there and he's eating with the oxen. And I think at times we can, on one end with the, the, prior, the proud man or woman, we are flippant with the Lord. And so we need to be aware of the power of God. We know he's a loving God, and we know that God allows things in our lives for when we do walk in pride to humble us. And I see it always through love. Sometimes I hear people say, why is God doing this to me? I think that's like one of the worst things you can say, by the way. I'm just saying, why is God doing this? Like, stop Stop it. Stop whining. Like, and you might say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what other people have been through. 
There's always someone else going through something more difficult in their life and more painful than you are. I read stories. I like to read stories on war, on the history of war, and uh, I like to read about heroics of men that were POWs and the things they did. And when you read about them, you're like, it's amazing. Like, how could these guys get through this torture day after day after day? You know, and I'm upset because someone took my parking spot. Right? So we need to be aware when we say, how could the Lord let this happen to me? And I, and I read of other men and women that have gone through so much. Or in the Bible, you read through all these different stories from Old Testament to New of men being persecuted, of, of women being broken, of Joseph, who was the favorite of his father in the Old Testament, and then thrown away for good, so it seemed, and was a man of righteousness and integrity, and still bad stuff was happening to him. We are men and women at times that just have pride, and the Lord says, I need to break you, because you're thinking it's all about you. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was broken, and for seven years he was eating with, with the cows. And he says, at that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes, if you go to verse 34, to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forevermore. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, and listen to this, it's so opposite of what it was before he had to go eat with the cows. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor who? The king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. So some of you may deal with that. I know we all deal with pride at different times, but there are truly people I see walking in pride and we all know how that looks. You've been around people that are proud and, and prideful, all about themselves, self-seekers. It's actually very annoying to be around. Uh, it's never comfortable. And, and they always are boasting of themselves of how good they are and what they've done. And King Nebuchadnezzar, I'd say he's, he's pretty tall on that list. Like, that guy had a lot to boast about, right? His empire. They were conquering people and enslaving them and taking over lands. And even God said, I will take you down because I am the king of kings. And so I want us to look at the man who is proud in the world. Nebuchadnezzar, to me, is a picture of that, that man that doesn't know the Lord yet, is saying, look at me, I'm tougher than anyone else. And God says, no, you're not. I love you enough to break you so that you could understand who I am. And as I was looking at this, I also thought about uh, Luke chapter 18, because some of you would say, that's not me. You'd say, that, Andrew, I don't walk in pride. I actually feel like I, don't, I can't come here today. I've done stupid stuff in my life. I keep falling short. And you have the opposite of pride where it's shame. Where you say, listen, I once followed the Lord and, and I was good. But I've just done too many things in my life to where I can't even come before him. See, and that's the thing is there's different people that walk through these doors. There's those that come in here with a head up high in a way of attitude of I'm the best, I'm better than anyone else. And those are the Nebuchadnezzars where God says, hey, I can help you understand the love of Christ even if you think you don't need it. 
But then there's those others that have come in here with their head hanging low. And they don't want to come to church. Because not that they don't want to hear the word, but they're afraid that they've just done too much in their life. That they don't deserve the love of Jesus Christ. See, those are the things that I've struggled with. I've been the Nebuchadnezzar in my life that has been proud and arrogant. And then I've been the one that says, I can't even be up here. To tell you that the truth is, I was struggling with that last night of saying, I can't believe I, I can't be up here. So full disclaimer, I'm a sinner, just so you know. I still sin. Full disclaimer, so do you. And uh, we're saved by grace. And so, see, the enemy has a way of going around and, and speaking to us and saying, you, you can't teach. You know what you've done wrong. And what that does is it sows a separation between me and my walk with the Lord and where I start going saying, I, I, I just can't do it. I don't want to do it because I know if I come in there, I'm not worthy of it. I, I, I'm going to just, it's not for me anymore. And so then we start to harden our heart in the midst of it, right? I'm just sharing what happens to me. Maybe it's only me. I'm pretty sure it's not, though. It's all of us. And, and so then we're like, I, I've done too many things. I just, I'm not good enough. Hey, here's a newsflash. We're not good enough. Okay, you're not good enough. That's why you're a Christian, because you weren't good in the first place. You didn't get saved because you had it all figured out. You got saved because you needed a Savior to help you. And so if you come in here, if you came in here today and, and you've had that heart where you just feel really downtrodden and where you're like, I have screwed up over and over again, I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I'm there with you. You know, and uh, my wife, she, when she heard Pastor Rich ask if I'd teach one of the Sundays, and she said it very sweet, but she's like, are you sure you should? I'm like, oh my gosh. I, what is that supposed to mean? She's like, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, are you sure you should? I'm like, well, I feel like I... I don't know. <laughs> like, that just made it worse for me. <laughs> like, what? And I said, well, you know, the reality is I'm not perfect, and that's probably the best place for me to be because it's going to make me open my, my Bible, right? And I realize when I teach, it is good for me because I have to open up the Word when sometimes I don't want to. And, uh, and that's how we can feel, right? In, in, in the Christian circle, you'd be like, I've just, it's not worth it. I keep screwing up, or I, I just... I can't do this. Well, let's get into Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You may be the Pharisee, by the way. I didn't bring that up, but you might. Just saying, if you think you're doing really good in your self-righteousness, you, you might need to hear this also. Um, I've been the Pharisee as well. And when I read these things and I've been a Pharisee, I don't like reading it. I like to look at the other guy. Oh, kind of like what he's going to do here in the story. So let's look at that. Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 9. So Jesus is going to speak. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Key word there, trusted in themselves. Key words, sorry. But people that trust in themselves, this, and it said that they were righteous and then when they are righteous themselves, it says, and despised others. That is why self-righteousness is a killer with your walk with the Lord and towards those you're around. Because you're saying, look at what I've done. And so we see, verse 10, Jesus speaks, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now remember, tax collector, as we've heard before, they were other Jews that 
hired on, subcontracted with the Roman government, and pretty much would get whatever they needed for the Roman government, and they could take whatever they wanted after that. So they could, I mean, they lived wealthy, but they were hated. And so you have this tax collector here, and the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, or he, he prayed alone, right? He was so good that he made sure he stood over here, away, away from all the other people. And he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. So you know, he, you know like the tax collector's like right there because he's praying this out loud. So the first word he says is extortioners. The tax guy, I'm not like him. Unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector is standing afar off. He was standing afar off for a different reason. One man stands alone to get the glory and the credit. Another man stands far off because of his brokenness and shame. And the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, um, these parables touch your heart when you've been in different seasons of your life. And so there's a season where I've been the Pharisee, where I felt like I was doing really good. I was a really good Christian. Like, you should have seen all the stars I had in my Bible for reading every day. I, I, I prayed before every meal. I mean, I gave at least 10%. Okay, sometimes a little less, but no one know. And I would do everything, and it became about me. But then life happens, and God is so tender in his mercies that he allows us to be broken. And as we get broken, we start to realize it's nothing that you can do or that I can do. It's accepting his love and his forgiveness. See, the tax collector was an extortioner a lot of times. They did do bad things. That's why he stood afar off. It wasn't like he was doing great. But the Lord came to call who? He said, I didn't call those that are well, but I came to call those that are sick and need a physician. And the more I walk in this life where I'm walking with the Lord, I see more of my ugliness without the Lord. Before where I would judge men and women for doing things outwardly, now I start realizing I have a heart to pray for them because myself I've done things that were not of the Lord. You have one that's a Pharisee that is blinded by their own self-righteousness. And we've all been around those people and we've been those people at times in the church. And listen, it, that personality stinks. No one likes you, okay? I'm telling you right now, no one likes self-righteous people unless there's other self-righteous people around them. And then they just fight, because they're fighting who's better. So the self-righteousness just kills the love of Jesus Christ. The Pharisee was standing apart from others to say, look at me, I don't want to be touched by these guys. And then there's a tax collector that knows his own sin. But what is he doing? He's still coming before the Lord and crying out. See, we think, even as my wife asks, like, do you think you should do this? I'm like, okay, I know you've seen all my ugliness, okay? I get it. I get it. 
But, but that's how we start feeling. You know, maybe I shouldn't go before the Lord. Maybe this is not, you know, it's just not working. And the Lord says, no, you come before me in brokenness, and you will come away more justified than the man and woman that thinks they have it all together, because they don't. And so we look at the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. We look at the pride of the Pharisee who's the self-righteous. You know, they're in the religion. But we also look at the brokenness of the tax collector. And as I look at those things, I, I've just learned that it is so much better to go in the house of the Lord in brokenness where there's weeping sometimes and then when, even when we're rejoicing. When we're just not understanding that God works really well with us when we're broken of ourselves. But he has a really hard time working with us when we're full of ourselves because he can't enter in. So I want to encourage you, if you are that person right now that's saying, man, I, I just need some encouragement, go to Habakkuk chapter 3 with me, verse 17. This is a time where when you may be in a, a time in your life of brokenness. This is a passage in uh, my life that's been very encouraging. Through the fig, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. See, when you're broken, nothing was going right for them. So who's your strength? Because you're, you're tired. You, you can't do it. The Lord is your strength. That's when things happen. Even when things are not going right, even as Habakkuk was sharing that, hey, the fields aren't producing, the flocks aren't producing, nothing's going right in my life. And the Lord says, that is the best place to meet you then because you're going to have open ears and an open heart to hear me, to receive from me my goodness to you, my love because it will be my strength that allows you to walk on high heels. And so moving forward as we keep going through here, like I said, I, these are just verses that were coming to my heart uh, as I was studying. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, if you want to go there. The church of Colossae was there. They had some issues going on with other people trying to put more uh, burden on them on how they needed to live. And Paul comes to the rescue. Now, Paul, we know, was once Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This guy knew everything. I mean, he knew the scriptures. He was Saul. But even Saul, who began persecuting the early church, could not withstand the power and love of Jesus Christ and was knocked off his high horse down to the ground and became the greatest evangelist of all time once he was broken of himself. And so Paul now is here, and as they went around and they shared the gospel, churches were being formed. And as churches were being formed, there were also other people trying to bring other stuff into the churches, people adding extra burden. And so I want to share with this in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And this is going to be, okay, so this is going to be like a long reading, okay? 
So I'm just warning you, like, don't fall asleep. I might have to yell in between, just wake you up. But it is the word of God. It's more important than me just talking. So we're going to read chapter 2, verse 6, and, and get into chapter 3 as well. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, he's speaking of the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Isn't that awesome? Like what he just shared, he's like, hey, it's all about what Jesus did for you, and that's all you need, nothing more. So he says in verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. False humility, right? We've all seen what that looks like. Uh, in worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not withholding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that comes from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is so living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So what am I getting at? He's talking about legalism. He's like, don't, don't get stuck again with legalism. Of all these things that are on the outside of man that people can see and, and, and judge you from. He's like, that's all that stuff, it still is no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So what are we supposed to do with this? Verse 1 of chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, 
Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We're almost done. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul is sharing with the church. He's saying it's not about what you do for others to see. It's about you putting on the mindset of Christ. It's about what he says for us, the character of the new man, all things of, of humility, meekness, long-suffering, kindness, and above all, love. As we look at the different characters we've talked about, as King Solomon heard the Lord tell him, hey, humble yourselves. You see King Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled and then gave glory to God. You see the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee came and said, hey, look how great I am. Look at all the good things I've done. And then you see the tax collector who couldn't even barely go up before the Lord because he was so ashamed. And we see these men of brokenness, of, of pride, of shame. And then we read of this where in the church of Colossae, Paul's trying to remind them, hey guys, it's not about all the outward stuff that you're trying to look good about or what the person's trying to tell you about. It's about you're a new person in Christ. That's why we don't go and do all these other things. It's not legalism. It's love. But it's so easy to forget that in our walk with the Lord at times. For those of us that walk with the Lord, there are seasons where maybe we have gone into legalism again. That's why it's so important that we get in the Word, huh? If you don't open up your Bible, if I don't open my Bible, I'm just trying to remember what I read before, and I start trying to do things in my own strength. But when you're in the Word, it convicts us like it convicted me. Andrew, you say you're a new man, then you need to walk in the new man. You need to be walking in a way that brings glory to me because why? I loved you. Why? He died for us because he loved us, and he first loved us before we loved him. The love story is amazing. It's of a Savior constantly seeking you out, no matter where you're at, saying, I'm never going to turn my back on you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And as we understand that, we realize this is a relationship. When you try to live a Christian life based off religion, based off doctrine, based off everything but not love, you're going to fall in error. You have to have the relationship with Christ. It's a love story. See, this last week I was thinking about this. And I get broken up sometimes, you know, like part of the reason I don't like being emotional, right? You know, strong men, we want to be strong men, right, guys? Okay, some of you guys are like, eh, sometimes. But for me, when I go before the Lord and I read these stories, you know, I, I start getting my heart touched. And I start feeling like that tax collector. Or I start feeling like that Pharisee. And I've always wondered, what makes me afraid to go before the Lord? Because he's never, like, waiting to punch me. He's waiting to embrace me. Because every time I have gone and been broken before the Lord, it's an embrace of love and forgiveness. And being a father of four kids, let me tell you, it is hard to be Christ-like all the time, isn't it? 
Any of your parents? I don't know if you know that, but it's hard. My kids can tell you some stories. But I look at the Savior and what he's done for me, and I realize when I walk in pride, I get humbled, I get broken. It's never enjoyable. It's miserable because I'm fighting against the Lord. But when I am a broken man, and when I read of what Paul was sharing with the Church of Colossae, he's like, listen, it's not about legalism. It's not about everything you do. I've already done it. Don't get stuck with those things, but walk in the new man. Walk in the character of Jesus Christ because of the relationship you have with him because you should be going to hell. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, hell and brimstone going on now. No, you should be going to hell. I should be going to hell. There is nothing good in me except Jesus Christ. And when you walk in pride, you're saying, no, I am good. No, you're not. I'm sorry. Anyone that came in here, bust in your bubble. You're not that good. Just look at yourself in the mirror. I look in the mirror, I'm like, ugh, geez. Got to work on this figure. We're not good. We're dying. We're getting older. We're not, we're not getting younger. But everything that is good is in Jesus Christ. And when you walk in humility, God can restore you. He can restore the, the years that the locusts have taken. He can restore your family. He can restore your marriage. He can restore your relationships. So as you go before the Lord, maybe as the tax collector did, just saying, Lord, I, I shouldn't even be here. No, you should be here because you have a Savior waiting to embrace you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I thought of Peter and, and, uh, and Judas. You know, Jesus loved Judas to the end. It says that. I thought that was pretty amazing. Like, Jesus could have got rid of him real easy. You know, they could have gone fishing and accidentally he got knocked over and he's like, don't know where he went. But you're Jesus. What happened? He's gone. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he loved Judas to the end. Judas, who he knew would betray him. And I thought about it more. I'm like, wait, but you know what's even more amazing to me? Jesus knew the whole story, right? Because he's God. Yes. So he allowed Judas to be there. And he loved us enough to not escape from any pain or suffering that we would be given the chance of everlasting life. He didn't manipulate anything. He could have called the angels down when Satan was tempting him. What did he use? He used scripture. And it said that Satan left him until another opportune time, which means Satan was still constantly at Jesus trying to see him fail. It wasn't just like a one-time Jesus-Satan encounter. Satan was around the whole time. Judas was there. He was having dinner with Judas. He was with him all the time. And he knew all that. He said, you know what? Because of my love for the Father, he would do the will. We know he prayed in the garden, sweating drops of blood, asking that the cup would pass. But he was of a humble nature. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for you, every one of you in this room. So if you walk out of here today and you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on a powerful relationship of love and redemption and freedom. And if you know Jesus and you've been like that tax collector feeling like you've done too many stupid things, then this is the best place for you to be to cry out to your Savior and let him heal you of your wounds. And if you feel like you've been doing pretty good and you're hot stuff, you better repent real quick. Because those Pharisee mindsets do not do us any good. Trust me, I've been there. And let him break you of yourself. 
Because our God is love. He's, he's wanting to see us walk with him. He desires a relationship from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve in the garden. He loved them. He walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. It's all based on relationship. It's not based on how many things you check off. Well, I went to church this Sunday. If that's your mindset, it's wrong. Our mindset needs to be one of a humble spirit of thanking our Savior for giving us another day to breathe and live and thank him for what he's done for us. Not of legalism, but of love. Every time I try to do the legalism thing, I just get in more trouble. I don't know, it's weird, but the more you start trying to live in your own righteousness, you just set yourself up for a bigger fall. And so as we get ready to close today, we're going to have the brothers come to help pass out communion, and Chase is going to lead us in a song as we pass it out. I just wanted to share this from my heart. This is what I'm going through. Andrew, are you, are you following the Lord in a legalistic way? Andrew, are you following the Lord where you're really not following the Lord? Where you're struggling in the things of this world? Because the world's all around us. Or Andrew, are you going to follow the Lord in humility? Humility.